the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Kim McNicholas on Innovation. Spotlighting successful entrepreneurs, innovators, investors, and industry experts. Their stories and insights can help you become better informed, better educated, and a better investor. Your host is Emmy Award-winning anchor, reporter, and writer Kim McNicholas. Kim has been a journalist at Forbes magazine, a Fox News Channel contributor, vetted more than 3,000 startups, and has been a mentor for entrepreneurs around the globe. Now, Kim McNicholas on innovation. The future of finance, healthcare, and even combating terrorism could be in the hands of the blockchain. When you think of blockchain, you automatically think digital currency, including Bitcoin. But that's only one application of the blockchain technology. I look at the blockchain as a decentralized dissemination of information which is independently recorded and verified. No one person owns the information, and it's not just stored in one place. It's spread across thousands of computers around the world. It basically eliminates intermediaries and third parties when it comes to contracts, financial transactions, and even ownership. Computers in the network verify a transaction in the blockchain, and then it can be stored online with simply a piece of code that represents the exchange. Imagine just how quickly you can get paid for work. Imagine third world countries where there's no property records and designated ownership of land, how the blockchain could quickly and easily change that. Imagine no need for notary publics. Imagine the impact to healthcare with an ease of accessibility and transfer of records. And that's just the beginning. Bill Tye is at the forefront of the blockchain and is in his third year running the Blockchain Summit on Richard Branson's private island, Necker, in partnership with one of the biggest names in the blockchain, Bitfury. I talked with him earlier today straight from the Blockchain Summit on Necker Island. He shared his key insights from the event. Hi, Bill. You're calling us all the way from Necker Island. Yes, it's beautiful here, Kim. This is our third annual Blockchain Summit on Necker Island. We had a warm welcome from uh, Sir Richard, and we have an incredible group of people here again this year. I was trying to explain to everyone before um, we called you that what exactly, for the mainstream audience, what is the blockchain? How would you describe it in its simplest terms? I would use an analogy that everybody's familiar with, which is uh, the internet. Everybody uses the internet to send emails, and the internet is basically a smart system that knows where everybody is at the endpoint so that you can basically send a note to somebody and it will flow through this seemingly complex system and get to the other side. And so that big pile in the middle is basically a pile of technology that knows where people are, what their logical address is, and how to package something and send it. And so the blockchain is the same thing, but it's for assets. And what does that mean? That means that you can send, you know, everybody knows blockchain really probably because of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a piece of value that people use as sort of a monetary instrument. 
And it's um, like sending, it's almost like emailing people money. So you basically are sending a unit of value that has a, an address on it that gets sent through a essentially a financial clearing system that exp is expressed on the record keeping system of the blockchain. And it can be a monetary unit, it can be the title representing a house, a car, you know, really anything that has value. And so why is there so much potential for the blockchain? Uh, well, so I guess you have to look at the existing societal structure built around transactions. And it definitely functions, but there are pieces of it that are remarkably slow. Um, they may not seem slow to people today because they're used to it, but uh, just like people look back and say, wow, it took a long time to complete a long-distance phone call years ago, or wow, it was you know pretty pretty hard to send a typewritten message through a telex or a fax machine. Now I just send an email. So financial and other instruments will go through the same thing, where the record keeping is live and real time and automatic and distributed, all at the same time everywhere. So kind of collectively everywhere, everyone knows where everything is and who owns it, and the change of ownership is essentially a, a, a piece of, you know, some software running some bits across to say, well, this one now is owned by this person. And so it's a, uh, it's really just a, a new system that can see down to the granular levels and it's allowing uh, a redefinition, kind of a decomposition and a redefinition of society and the part of society that is uh, transaction based. So what's exciting people most there on Necker Island during this third annual blockchain summit? Well, I'd say uh, uh, the overarching thing is that they're excited because it has so many applications. Um, but there are some point solutions that have just um, been wonderful. We, we, have, we opened uh, with an announcement that um, we are uh, in con conjunction with an organization called Mission Blue. Uh, we announced the formal sanctioning of uh, a coral atoll in Australia called the Abrolhos Islands. And that the uh, management and uh, kind of protection of that area will be enhanced by the use of the blockchain. So uh, in that case, that, that area has a, a tremendous diversity of uh, ocean and, and actually land-based on island species. That um, there's a lot of data about all of those, the climate, the area, the water temperature, the density of fish. But it's been in point, single point kind of research studies. And with a blockchain, you can basically aggregate all of the history and all of the upcoming, um, whether it's photographs or scientific studies, and create pointers to them on the blockchain, much like groups of people are pointed to on the internet through uh, web pages or IP addresses or Facebook addresses. And so there's a, a sense of the ability to create groups of information, just like you create groups of people on Facebook that then have communities of interest around data. That's one of the things. But there's many things that are popping up at this uh, this year's summit. And so it's still a little bit confusing as to why. Why would you use that versus a Wikipedia? Uh, because, it was, so yes, you could use Wikipedia. Wikipedia is great for sort of documenting a little bit of a kind of a historical record and keeping things kind of current. But Wikipedia doesn't really hold large data sets that right. can be synthesized together um, across databases and pulled into a common framework to then pull analytics out of, you know, so imagine, uh, you know, you could theoretically use Wikipedia as a reference point, like, you know, imagine going to Wikipedia for the Abrolhos Islands and then seeing, you know, a hundred different lines uh, representing a hundred different research studies on, on, you know, uh, lobsters 
for example. And then you'd have to pull all those and, and kind of synthesize those into something and check the timestamps. And you, know, you could do it, but it would be cumbersome. The blockchain, basically, it's, it's like uh, you know, when you go to a web page, you'll sometimes see an IP address. And that represents the page, just like a phone number represents a person. Think of the blockchain as an automatic directory. Just like, you know, when you want to call someone on the phone, you type a bunch of numbers. The phone book is the marketplace. The blockchain is effectively the, the marketplace that you don't really even have to use. It just knows that um, this number is connected to that person, so connected to people. So if you're interested in research across a variety of areas and it's tagged right, you just kind of synthesize it and you have the database, the collective database you need. Uh, to figure out bigger pieces of information. And so what are some of the other key insights that are coming out of the event? I could imagine big things coming with healthcare. I could imagine big things happening to combat terrorism. Yeah, so both of those have been discussed. Um, uh, as I think one of the big themes yesterday was the empowerment of, um, of I guess, I don't know if you call them minority groups, um, just really the empowerment of, of groups of people, in one case, uh, uh, women. You know, so... So there have been a number of, of women in countries that do not, uh, I guess, you know, treat them fairly or equivalent to, to men. And these women organizations, it's been amazing to see the traction they're able to get with funding uh, from Bitcoin. You know, so people basically sending, sending finances and allowing women some independence. You know, we have a woman here named Roya Mahoub who was a, a Time 100 uh, most influential persons, uh, in this case from Afghanistan, who uh, was a software developer, and she was, you know, quite oppressed. But uh, uh, she was able to really to kind of gain her freedom um, with uh, donations and support from the world of cryptocurrency. You know, so so freedom of action. So just uh, lots of different cases. That healthcare system in the United States, it is be becoming, or over time, it's becoming more and more data intensive. That data is sprawling and unorganized and hard to find. And so blockchain basically provides order to chaos. You do have to onboard it, but it allows the framework for all that stuff to be organized. In the case of terrorism, uh, there was a great session yesterday with uh, Hernando de Soto, Val Vavilov, who's the CEO of Bitfury, and myself. Um, Hernando basically defeated a terrorist army. He's an economist, but he was the main weapon that defeated a terrorist army in his home country of Peru uh, back in the uh, 70s and 80s um, by the use of land titling and basically giving people ownership of assets so they cared. And mm. a longer story, but that was expressed in a book called The Mystery of Capital. It became a, uh, an economics bestseller. And, uh, and there's been a project underway since the first blockchain summit to automate the principles in The Mystery of Capital. He, he did that actually uh, manually using stacks of paper effectively to create uh, the land titling and basic brick of capitalism in 15 or 20 countries over the last couple of decades He's president now of the Institute for Liberty and Democracy. And so he's got a workflow that works, but it hasn't been automated yet. And we found a way to basically take his practices, automate them in software, and register all that stuff on the blockchain to make it replicable and scalable. And, you know, if you give people opportunity and jobs, it helps prevent them from becoming terrorists. So, so yeah, there's uh, healthcare, there's terrorism, there's environmental conservation, there's economic empowerment. Uh, this morning's session is on e-governance, so there's a way to do very quick and uh, broad voting systems. You know, imagine uh, just when you go to vote to be able to pick up your iPhone and your identity is secure and authenticated. It knows that there's no double counting, and you basically just hit, you know, vote on your iPhone app, and you can vote. You know, so there's ways to make um, government more efficient, and government is one of those things that is intended to, to be 
there to create efficiencies for nations and groups of people. And yeah, it does. It definitely does that. But the the creation of efficiency isn't very efficient itself. So right. so blockchain basically can can streamline a lot of those processes and make it easier and faster. Could the blockchain have made a difference in the 2016 presidential election? Stay tuned to find out. Now back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. I've been talking to Bill Tai, the brainchild behind the annual blockchain summit on Sir Richard Branson's private island, Necker. He took a break from his conference sessions to share his insights straight from the event, straight from the British Virgin Islands. Before the break, Bill was saying that the blockchain could create a more simplified, efficient, and effective voting system. So, of course, I had the obvious follow-up question for him. Could it have made this past election much people much more confident in the election results, um, oh. right, wrong, or indifferent if we had the blockchain? And you if so, could, how? Absolutely, because you would have seen the tallying real time, not not people in systems counting vote, but they'd be, you know, when you when you hit a like button on your Facebook page or, you know, in your Facebook feed, it's registered instantaneously. Right. And everybody looking at it knows how many likes there are. So the votes would basically be instantaneous, and I think they would be more broadly distributed. I think there's a lot of people that can't get to the polling stations because they're driving home from work and the traffic's too bad. So imagine, you know, the poll's open, you take out your phone, you tap a button. And so I think uh, there's a way to lower the friction to a lot of government services to make the real intention of people more transparent. But doing this all in, in a network, isn't there a high risk for hacking and manipulation? Uh, there will always be, but you know, and yes, you hear about hacks happening in parts of the cryptocurrency world that are a little bit newer. But if you use the Bitcoin blockchain, you know, certainly the Bitcoin world is full of very uh, intense programmers that, of course, would try to hack everything. And Bitcoin has been around now for you know nearly a decade, uh, and nobody's been able to do it. And there are reasons for that. The system is a very, very uh, robust system because it's a distributed system where the records of any transaction are basically stored in uh, many, many, many thousands of peers around the world. And uh, so to, to fake the data or to hack the system to change the data, you basically would have to take over all of those individual separate computers on separate, oh, gotcha. separate security all at the same time and overwrite the data and then and report that data into the blockchain. It's just, it's not possible. And one of the big things right now, and I'm curious if you're talking about it there, I've heard more and more about it, but initial coin offerings um, basically being used a lot for crowdfunding um, yes. instances, but it's crowdfunding of cryptocurrency. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, of course, you know, the, the new hot trend at the moment is, uh, is the uh, coin offering. And uh, it is an extension of crowdfunding. The, uh, you know, the old way of doing things is, you know, start a company, knock on doors at venture capital firms. Right. It's hard to get a little bit of money and give away a huge chunk of your company. And as a venture capitalist, I'm on the other side of that often. Uh, and then the crowdfunding was, uh, wave has been fabulous for spurring innovation because people could dream up their product, create a video, show people what they wanted to make, and, and ask for either donations to make it or pre-orders of product money would get sent in. And then once the product was delivered, if it were delivered, it could be shipped. And the money came uh, early. It came in sizable amounts in some cases. Uh, it allowed a meritocracy of ideas. Great ideas got a lot more funding than marginal ideas. And it allowed the entrepreneur flexibility and freedom to build the company without giving up huge amounts of the company in control. Um, now, uh, there's this uh, coin offering, which is 
effectively a way to tokenize or turn a donation or turn a contribution into something like a virtual coin on a video game. You know, so you basically have something where you've donated, you have a, a digital representation of that, and then you can sell that into a marketplace if you want. Um, so there's liquidity. So, you know, you might make a donation. Like it used to be in Kickstarter. If you like something, you might, it might say, oh, pay $5, get a t-shirt or donate $5, get a t-shirt. And then you'd, you'd feel happy if you like the product and want to support it. In this case, that t-shirt would be the token in effect. And if there was a marketplace for those t-shirts and they went up to $10 or $20 a t-shirt, you could sell it if you want. Or maybe the market price for that t-shirt would go down at nil and then you'd just hang on to it. So, so there are, there's a way now to have a liquidity mechanism on your contribution in a variety of forms. And do you see this uh, staying or going away, growing? Where do you see the ICOs? I think it's, uh, it, I don't see it going away. I think it's a trend that's here to stay because, you know, it is a little bit like a Kickstarter t-shirt campaign. Um, people, well, you know, there's a lot of people that will contribute to a lot of different things. I was, I was surprised in the early days of Kickstarter what kinds of things would get funded. And um, I think, you know, ICOs, uh, there's some great stuff on there. There's some ideas that I would question, but almost everything that I've seen go on for an ICO gets some funding, just like Kickstarter. And so I think the practice will always be there. Uh, whether or not the size of ICOs will continue, there were a few a few weeks ago that were raising 150 to 200 million and they got done. Um, whether they'll continue in that size, I don't know. I think that's happening because some of these tokens are, are going up in price rapidly after the closing of those deals. So people are speculating on the profit potential of buying into an ICO. Uh, but if that goes away, I think the ICO sizes will shrink. I think there's, you know, there was a regulatory announcement yesterday clarifying what is and what is not um, a, uh, a security as opposed to a donation or token. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to put a little damper on it for a bit because people will be confused as to whether there's going to be more regulation or not. But I think it's a trend that's here to stay. It'll just probably morph in form. And two quick things. One, so you're there with Sir Richard Branson, and I know he's been a little bit reserved in terms of the blockchain in the past. Where is he at? Has, have you gotten any feedback from him? Is he commenting live during the presentations? What is he saying now? Uh, you know, so his, his uh, like everyone on this planet, um, his familiarity with the terminology has been going up just because of the press and interest about the space. And he is also um, somebody that's inclined to, to uh, fund and promote innovation and disruption for in a positive way uh, that in, in outcomes that are good, like uh, the use of disruptive technology for positive outcomes. And so he's been a big proponent of that. He has made a number of investments. Uh, he invested in a company called Blockchain, which is a wallet company. He's a, a, a major investor in BitPay, which is a company that provides businesses, small businesses with the ability to transact in Bitcoin. And he's got a few other investments in the space. So I think his familiarity is growing. His uh, interest in uh, funding and fueling has been growing. Uh, his interest in uh, ocean conservation and other things that can be enhanced by the use of better data management through the blockchain, has it, that's exploded. He, uh, he recently endorsed a project out of the uh, World Economic Forum to provide transparency in the supply chain of tuna. Um, so that there's a uh, better record keeping for what's being caught and the handling of tuna so that they are not fished away to destruction, of, you know, to, to zero. So I think he sees the potential and he's happy to comment on things like that. Oh, that's so exciting. Any other key in insights you want to share from the conference that people would be really excited about who aren't there? 
Uh, you know, I think it's just it's uh, it's it's an area that is has such broad implications. It's drawing thought leaders from a lot of different areas. We have folks here that represent the entrepreneur community. We have former central bank governors. We have uh, uh, you know deal makers from uh, uh, every continent on the planet except Antarctica. Uh, we've got uh, former regulators. You know, Jim Jim Newsom, the former chairman of the CFTC, is here. Um, it's just impressive the collaboration. Uh, that is occurring here to take a breakthrough technology and and help use it, help shape it to do some really positive things across so many fields. So it's just, you know, one of these waves that you just cannot miss. And I received a note. This is something very special. I received a note as we close out here from a man by the name of Thomas Flake. I was introduced to him because a friend of mine believes that he would be great for the Extreme Tech Challenge with his current project. Prior to this, he was involved in the blockchain. And he wrote this to me. It is a pleasure to meet you. Let's start by thanking you for something you did. And he thought I was more involved with blockchain than I am. But he was looking more at you. He said, about three years ago, we pitched a successful friend on the idea of investing in our cryptocurrency derivatives exchange. He told us he didn't know about the derivatives or Bitcoin and probably thought we were crazy. Your team held what must have been the first or maybe not blockchain summit at about the same time. A week later, my friend was on Necker Island for a different event, but all over the place was material related to Bitcoin. Huh. After returning from the island, he made an investment. Yeah. And today we are on the brink of starting the U.S.'s first regulated designated contracts market, one step up from the SEFs uh, that Ledger X and Terra are doing. Yes. And he says, thank you so much. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, if the cryptocurrency is changing lives, I would encourage you to reach out to a gentleman named Richard Burton who I think you've met through the, uh, the kite outings that we do. Yeah. Uh, at the XTC Norway, the uh, Norwegian government through Oslo Business Region funds the launch of the Extreme Tech Challenge every year. I hadn't seen Richard for a f- couple of, a few years. And Richard comes bounding over and he gives me a gigantic hug and he says to me, Bill, you've, you've, you've changed my life. Thank you. I just have to thank you. You've changed my life. And I said, really, Richard, how, how did I do that? And he said, do you remember, do you remember like three years ago, you, you told me when I, I messaged you and, and I said, I'm looking for something to do next. You know, do you have any ideas? And you told me to look into Ethereum. I said, yes. And he said, well, I did. <laughs> and I said, yes. He said, well, I ended up developing the website for part of the website for the Ethereum Foundation. And I said, so let me guess, you got paid in Ethereum. And he said, yes. And I said, and it's, oh my gosh. And it's up 20X. He says, no, it's up 50X. Thank you. And he gives me a big <laughs> hug and he says, I have total freedom now. I work on what I want to work on and I travel and kite around the world. And just, uh, he's got a medium post uh, that touches on it. It's not specifically about that, but you know, the, uh, anytime there's a new disruptive technology that has value, um, it can be valued. And those who partake in that, uh, value creation, sometimes they, you know, sometimes they get lucky. And, uh, I often say I'd rather be lucky than smart, but being smart is putting yourself in the path of luck. And Richard just ran like right in front of the freight train. So, so uh, <laughs> there's, and there's more freight trains coming for all of you out there in radio land. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of Necker Island and the rest of the week and say hi to the lemurs, the turtles, and the flamingos. And Thank all you. The yes, other you know them all. Today. You know them all, Kim. <laughs> yes, you've been hanging out here enough that they're all friends of yours now, too. 
Thank you. And coming up in just a moment, we'll have a big announcement in regards to a big name in the credit card world and their involvement in the blockchain. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show from Necker Island, straight back to Silicon Valley. We have Bill Barheit, the CEO of free global money transfer app, Abra, who is going to be on to talk about one of the biggest announcements of the week, I think, involving the blockchain. For the first time, a Bitcoin company has integrated directly with a very large credit card network. Bill, welcome to the show. And I can't wait to hear the conversations between you and American Express. (laughs) Hi, Kim. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, great to be here. So, yeah, we're super excited that, um, to my knowledge, we're you know one of the few, if not only, companies ever to work directly with a, a credit card network, in this particular instance, to facilitate cash flow directly into a digital currency wallet off of an American Express card or via any consumer uh, American Express card uh, in the U.S. Uh, we're going to start with the U.S., and uh, see where we go from there. But, um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I'm not aware that any company has uh, ever achieved that before, and um, I think uh, we're already seeing people using it um, since we announced it a couple of days ago, and uh, it's working well. And, yeah, people are really excited about the the ease of use and kind of the direct integration between the banking world and the digital currency slash Bitcoin world with – Instant real-time gratification. So, you see the money in your Abra wallet right away. Give us the basics of what your app does. So, if someone downloads the Abra app, what happens? And then explain how the American Express deal integrates into that and adds value. Gladly. So, Abra at its core is a digital currency wallet app for both iOS and Android. Uh, it allows you to store uh, digital dollars or Bitcoin on your smartphone with no bank involved and either store or transmit those digital dollars or Bitcoin to any other Abra app or to any external Bitcoin wallets. The biggest advantage uh, of Abra is that it's the only app out there that truly interoperates between the traditional fiat world and this new Bitcoin world. What I mean by that is you can move money quickly in and out of the banking system into your Abra app. And if you're holding the money as dollars, the recipients can receive Bitcoin and not even know that you sent them dollars and vice versa, meaning the sender can send you Bitcoin and you can receive dollars and not even know that the sender sent you Bitcoin. So this interoperability between Bitcoin and fiat, I think is very unique to Abra. American Express allows us to go one step further and make those cash loads into the Abra app near instantaneous. You simply type in your card number, um, agree to the transaction, and within a few seconds, you see that your balance is updated, and then the transaction will confirm, usually after one or two uh, Bitcoin block cycles, and so you're good to go. One of the things, just my understanding and and why you were in the Extreme Tech Challenge and you were one of our top companies and the Extreme Tech Challenge is the world's largest global startup competition, which I run. And what I loved about it was simply the the fact that it just – I don't know if anyone out there has actually tried to send money 
and it takes days. Or maybe you've received a check and then you put the check in the bank and they say, oh, well, we are, we're going to put a hold on it because we have to verify with the other bank if the money's there and blah, blah, blah. What's great about the blockchain and and your app, um, which is it built up upon the blockchain? That's really the premise, right? Bitcoin blockchain based and, and behind the scenes. And so the, the benefits there, if people were listening in earlier, is that you don't have to have this third party involved. It's, a, you know, thousands of computers can actually verify where the money is coming from and where it's That's going. Right. That's right. And we've gone one step further. Well, actually, I would say two steps further than that. One, um, most people who are storing Bitcoin today are allowing a third party to hold and manage that Bitcoin for them. Oh, interesting. And as a, as a custodian of funds. So if you're using a Bitcoin exchange to manage your Bitcoin, they're holding your Bitcoin, not you. And so with Abra, the keys are on the phone. So you have agency over your own funds in real time. You have access. I cannot take your funds. If the government comes to me and says, I am here to subpoena Kim's funds, my response is, well, I have no access to those funds because they're on Kim's phone. So that's Part one. Part two is, even if you're holding dollars on your phone, I have no access to the funds because the way we're holding those dollars is effectively storing them as Bitcoin and then hedging the value of the Bitcoin to the dollar. And so on the phone, you just see dollars. And that's a huge breakthrough because even the dollars themselves are what we call non-custodial. They're not in a bank account. They're on your phone. And so both of those combined allows us to move very quickly between the fiat and Bitcoin worlds from a single smartphone application. And now with American Express, that's huge credibility for you to have them as a partner and for them to be trusting in you. That's right. I I couldn't agree more. You know, it's interesting that you say that. We've had not only a whole lot of people sign up um, since we made the announcement uh, specifically to use the American Express integration, but we've seen a halo effect in all the other features mm. of the app. And I think a lot of that is doing exactly what you just said, meaning the credibility of people who want to get into digital currency and see that there's a company that not only has a super easy consumer experience and makes it easy to get the money on and off the phone, but has the credibility of working and, and integrating directly with American Express to facilitate that buy of digital currency directly onto my application. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining us. Congratulations. And for anyone who's really now inspired to do a little bit more research and get involved with the blockchain, downloading Abra is a really great start to just dabble in it and get your fingers wet. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining us. My pleasure, Kim. Great to talk to you. Next up, we have Tony Lane Casserly. She has another startup that's in the blockchain space. I mean, the number of startups that are emerging in this space, it's just exploding right now. It's becoming more and more popular. And I think the more these startups emerge, we're going to start seeing more and more companies such as even Abra jumping into the mainstream and big names such as American Express jumping on the bandwagon as well, trying to be at the forefront of cutting-edge technologies to lead us into the future. Next up, we have Tony Lane Casserly. She has a a very interesting startup in the blockchain space, which is doing a or creating a virtual nation or virtual nations. Tony, tell us about your company. Hi, Kim. How are you? Fantastic. I'm surprised you're not on Necker Island with Bill and all of the crew. 
I know. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Next year. (laughs) So tell us, what is the name of your company? What are you guys doing? So the company is called V Nation. It's vnation.io. And we are essentially leveraging some of the core innovations created by blockchain infrastructure to allow people to design new systems of governance that effectively redefine the raison d'etre or the reason for being of the nation state, which is something that is transformed by the capabilities blockchain presents. Uh, what what does that even mean? Does that mean if, you know what, I am not happy with what's happening here in the United States and the presidency and what's happening on Capitol Hill, I want to start my own little virtual nation and have my own community of people and set my own rules? Not only I want to have my own community of people and set my own rules, but I want to do all of my arbitration. So in terms of my legal services, I want to conduct legal services under the New York Convention, which is an, you know, an agreement that is working with trillions of dollars worth of international trade to effectively define the way that I'm interacting as a sovereign individual um, you know, with with my own legal contracts and constructs, and I want to maybe create my own service programs with my friends in the private sector. I actually want to create a community that provides maybe better protection for citizens or better health care for citizens or, you know, better services for citizens in a million different capacities by essentially creating my own network of resources and distributing those resources to my tribe. But how does that translate into the real world? Does it translate? Yeah, so we like, yeah, of course. Uh, We have to think of our work as a quantified Burning Man. And so a few examples of people (laughs) who are already starting to do this, like there's a huge difference between the idea of a nation, which like you have the Iroquois nation. A nation is essentially a tribe. It's a group of people. It's more of a cultural thing and a nation state. A nation state is a group of people that also transact and interact with and as a political body. And to be a nation state, you need recognition from other nations. We're out of time. But if people want to find out more, vnation.io. And I'm Tony Lancasterly. Fantastic. Thanks so much. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. Internet identity has been a burden and a vulnerability since users enter their own security credentials, which, as we all know, can be faked, stolen, or purchased by the millions on the dark web. Averon, though, is flipping the script. Averon authenticates mobile users in the background by tracing packets deep within the mobile network. There is nothing the user has to self-report and thus nothing for hackers to fake. Making Averon, they claim, the safest and easiest mobile identity solution. Welcome to Wendell and Kevin who are with Averon. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having us. So we're talking all about the blockchain. How does your company fit in? Right. So with the blockchain, um, one of the big things is that it's, it's pushed as a super secure thing, um, which it is. But there's also people forget that there's the other side of it, which is kind of like this vault. But the access part of it, the front end of it is how do people access their stuff on the blockchain? Right. And that, that comes in the form of wallets for their bitcoins, other apps or other websites that they use to interact with the blockchain. And what we want to do is make sure that people aren't forgetting to stay secure on that side. 
because the magic of blockchain is that although the data itself is super secure, um, that sorry, that is the, the magic of where things are secure on blockchain, but the other side of it is that we want to make sure people are not neglecting to protect themselves and their users when it comes to how they secure, how they access it. And so what would you say to, to people out there who have never used the blockchain, aren't involved in cryptocurrency, that, you know, we had the CEO of Abra, for example, on, which is you you can store your money, digital, you know, it's digital currency, whether it's dollars or whether it's Bitcoin or any other currency, you can store it on your mobile phone. People are like, oh, no, I'm going to stick with a traditional way because it's safer. How can you convince people to take a chance on the blockchain and some of the cryptocurrencies out there? Yeah, I mean, I'm still learning so much about the blockchain and Bitcoin and everything, too, and all these cryptocurrencies. I would say, number one, it, it is absolutely one of the um, the most interesting things that have come out um, that is really changing the face of the world, and it's something to really kind of look out for. Um, and I think there is so much potential there, um, given um, really what it promises to do with currency. Um, and as I'm, I can't claim to be a complete expert on cryptocurrencies itself, but on the security side of things. Um, I think once we are able to fully protect people, there's going to be um, just so much, so much potential for blockchain. And so and as you as you build your business, you're, you're targeting mobile users just in general, and no matter what they do on their phone, whether it's within the blockchain or whether it's in, you know, dollars or anything else that they do, you're saying, hey, we're, we're going to protect you. Right. And yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of how we came across um, blockchain and the crypto world is because um, we started off just being a security company and saying, mm-hmm. hey, we've got this new way to authenticate people. So if you're accessing a bank, your you know, home IoT or anything online, we're able to protect you guys better than current solutions. And the people that really, really started running to us are people in the, you know, the blockchain space, the crypto yeah. space, because these people are the first target that hackers try to attack on the internet because um, compared to something like your, you know, Facebook account or some other information, if you steal someone's cryptocurrency, you're stealing actual money. There's no extra step involved in converting that into money for hackers. And so that's how we kind of stumbled upon um, the Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto world as, wow, these people are doing some really amazing stuff. And that's putting them at the forefront of, uh, you know, the vulnerable on the internet right now. So we're, we're doing our best to kind of get the word out there and say, hey, there are better solutions, you guys. Um, there, there are ways to better protect your users so you guys can keep innovating and building on this awesome technology. Fantastic. So you're at the forefront on the cutting edge of the blockchain. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And if people want to learn more, they can go to Averon.com or what's the website? Yeah, www.averon.com or email us directly at contact at Averon.com. Thank you so much. Really appreciate Thank it. You. Next up, we have Paul Kuskowski, I believe. He's with Coin Firm. And I have some serious questions for you, Paul, in regards to um, just the legal side of the blockchain. You probably are at the forefront right now. I think you're one of the most 50 most influential companies when it comes to the blockchain. Yes, correct. And very much recognized also on the RegTech side, so providing technology for around compliance regulation. Basically, we are providing uh, anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing 
solutions, online solutions for uh, cryptocurrencies businesses and blockchain businesses. And so obviously there are threats out there, but there are threats probably to every aspect of business, right? But there are threats in terms of using the blockchain and cryptocurrencies. How can you ease people's concerns? What should they worry about and what shouldn't they worry about? We have about a minute 30. Okay, so from, from our perspective, we are looking at the regulations primarily. Uh, and this is, this is one of the non-compliance is one of the biggest threats uh, for these companies, yes, especially, especially around, um, because in the, in the blockchain, basically, in cryptocurrencies, the peer-to-peer transactions are happening. So, and this is, you know, we're creating new businesses, we're creating new markets. But this market needs to still comply with the existing regulations or the new regulations which are coming. From our perspective, one of the major obstacles and one of the major risks for these companies is non-complying with mm. anti-money laundering mm. or being, you know, a party or uh, in the, not knowingly even, uh, in the terrorist financing, for example, schemes. So this is something which we are addressing and this is something which we are, you know, globally recognized for. And so, um, you know, should people in the mainstream get involved with the blockchain would you encourage them to do that would you feel safe doing it knowing that people like you are on the on the job yes and this is what we you know actually are doing so we bring in a lot of banks and financial institutions into blockchain sphere and cryptocurrency sphere the one one thing which was missing without our systems and you know platform is basically um, allowing or having tools for existing um, systems to manage the risks uh, related to with cryptocurrencies. So effectively, you know, if they couldn't accept cryptocurrencies businesses or there was problems with accepting cryptocurrencies businesses because they couldn't manage or they couldn't understand the risk associated with cryptocurrencies uh, businesses, Maybe like about exchanges 10 seconds. of payment, payment processors, and we are helping to basically allowing them to manage this risk and both on the on the cryptocurrency as well so we are helping with you know um addressing anti-money laundering uh, regulations and making making sure that the business are compliant thank you and see everybody's right, thinking you. of everything so uh take a jump explore the blockchain this has been kim mcnicholas on innovation you can connect with kim on facebook forward slash kim mcnicholas or email kimmcnicholas at gmail.com. Be sure to join us again next Friday at 1 for Kim McNicholas on Innovation. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.